Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. I'm Heck yeah! Oh, man. I'm your host, David Luzader, and with me, as always, is... Nicholas Shermooksness. Fantastic, Nick. Welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Welcome to the show as well. Thank you, and welcome, of course, listeners. We're so glad to have you back. Taking time out of, uh, out of listening to nothing to listen to something was mm. truly special. Because mm. they're totally not wearing it, wearing, uh, listening to us while they're like on the treadmill or sitting on a bus. No, no, they're like they're yeah. sitting, they're sitting in a chair. So they got a very a meditative state, like that. It's almost like we're a, a, a transcendental meditative thing. Right, like they have their eyes closed. They're imagining, you know, like both of us, like ruggedly handsome, possibly on horses. You know, that's up to you if you want to imagine it that way. But, With the horses. Know, well, we are ruggedly handsome. We're ruggedly handsome horses, I think, is what we're getting at here. Yes, Bojack horses. Oh, man, I, I was wondering if we were going to... Uh, be fortunate enough to bring that up yet again out of the blue yeah. from nowhere. I will always find a way to insert Bojack into anything. Yes. yes we just got yeah. Bojacked. Wow, let's not make that a thing. It's a thing. It's Let's not make it a thing, though. Too late. Okay, you know what? Let's let's just continue on and try to pretend this never happened. Oh, right. sounds good. Man, so what a better place to start this week than Batman number 38. It, it, I think it had Bojack in it. Okay, you know what? Before he, like, it was a horse and he probably got eaten by the zombie Joker people. I don't get the sense that they're eating each other. It's more like just casual murder. Yeah, casual murder. That's not what zombies do. If anything, zombies truly do kill people casually. They're just like, oh, I'm just hungry. Like, oh, what's next? Well, you know? Well, but I'm saying, like, they're not doing it in such a way, uh, like, they're not eating each other. They're just beating each other to death with their fists. Well, and they have guns. They can operate guns. Yes. They're, it's, they're more like the rage virus from, what is it, 28 Days Later? But, except it's more like the, the laughing virus. But the rage virus, they didn't use guns. This is the rage virus with guns. This is rage gunolitis. Okay, we're getting way rage. off track here. Rage gun. Batman number 30. Batman number 38. It had Batman in it. It did. That's for sure. It's, it's part four of, of the Endgame series, or the Endgame so, arc. So as someone who has um, ahem, yet to read Zero Year... Um, yeah. Explain Duke Thomas to me, because he was he was significant in the previous issue, and he was at least in the beginning of this one. So uh, Duke Thomas, in Zero Year, did not uh, did not play a major role, but he played like a nice little role, uh, where at, at the point uh, that Batman sort of realizes that he wasn't prepared for what Riddler was doing, and he disappears. When mm -hmm. when he wakes back up, he's in uh, the apartment of. You know uh, the the Thomas family and and Duke Thomas is there trying to find a riddle because uh, you know the whole deal is if somebody can ask the riddler a riddle that he can't get the answer to he'll release the city mm -hmm. and so he's sitting there like trying to figure out uh, a bunch of riddles that he thinks might uh, may, might save them and he's also the uh, I think he's the kid remember at the beginning of Zero Year when there's the kid stabbing the fish. Yeah, that, that I know that. Pretty sure that's Duke yeah, Thomas. That, yeah. that is that is Duke Thomas. So also the future Lark. Yes, yes, he does have an apparent future with the Bat family, 
though we're not sure uh, how much of that is truly truly to come. Uh, I wouldn't be against it. He's been he's been a a you know a sparse sparse sparsely used whatever. He's been uh, occasional within this within the uh, Snyder Batman story, so I don't really have a good feel for him. Well, I think his first appearance was in Zero Year. It was. It was. He's so he's he's a brave like for all, all we really know about him like he's brave and he believes in Batman. And those are good qualities. That's really all you need that, to be part of the Batman family. That, that, that's true. That is a good place to start. Um, I think that he first appeared in um, when Snyder and uh, Sean Murphy did their story in Detective Comics number 27, which was like the anniversary issue of the original appearance of Batman. Hmm. Um, okay. They did a story where Bruce would set up a system of Bruce clones so that like every, I think it was like 20-something years uh, when one clone would die, uh, a new clone would take his place. Yes, makes perfect and sense. Yes, it you. does. It does. It does. And then uh, I know that the, in that story they show like Bluebird and Lark uh, and some other characters, uh, and they kind of show like these same identities, kind of like through the generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I don't know what it was. It, Duke Thomas appears as Lark in something. I don't know if it was a promo piece or. I'm pretty sure he um, was in. Was it not? Was it not? It wasn't Future's End. No, maybe he did. I didn't read the Future's End issue, but I know that that follows up on the cloning thing. I'd have to, I'd have to dig it up. I think it, I think um, it was Future's End. Now that we're talking about it, uh, let me see if I can f- keep going. Um, but that you know, I definitely think Duke Thomas is another character to enter the Batman family. I think at this point, uh, they're just kind of open season as far as like Batman uh, associates go. You know. Yeah. Uh, so he definitely was in. Uh, in Future's End, but he was Robin, actually. Oh, oh, well, I don't know if, if it was Duke Thomas, but yeah, and not Future's End, but I think that future Batman story mm-hmm. from I, from Detective Comics 27, now that I'm thinking about it, there was a, a black Robin in it, though it didn't specify as Duke Thomas. It also seemed like it was taking place a lot further in the future. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, further enough that it's not happening in the immediate future of the Batman universe. Um, but still, I, I do think that, that Duke Thomas is being set up as Lark. As, as something, for sure. Which makes me believe that he... Because I think it's Lark and Bluebird. Or was there another character? Isn't there another character name that's come up? Lark and someone else? Maybe it is Bluebird. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, bats and birds, because they just, you know... They go, they go so well together, you know, the it's story like of the... butter and chocolate. Like uh, lamb and tuna fish. Yeah. But great superheroes, by the way, lamb and tuna fish. Lamb and tuna, like they replaced hawk and dove for a while. They, they, weren't, they weren't widely received. It was very... <laughs> Neither was hawk and dove. So... Oh, oh, it's harsh, but it's true. So, but you know, I actually really like the hawk and dove concept. No, no, Hawk and Dove is a great concept. It's just been not handled well. Apparently. Mostly because it's probably been handled by Rob Liefeld. Yeah. True. But we're not True. here to, 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 to debase people. Right. We're here to continue talking about Batman thir- number 38. Oh, were it, we talking it, about that? We, I think we were. We got off on a tangent about Duke Thomas, which I fully admit was probably my fault. Um, probably. Let's just all agree that it was Nick's fault. There's there, nothing like definitive happens in Batman 30. This is kind of the issue where 
everything's up in the air. Like even Batman himself doesn't know what to do about the current conflict. Um, but, well, but, it, but I really like that because they're they're showing like really get the sense of the peril in this issue. Oh yeah, like that like that things are things are not going well, and there's a lot of really cool stuff in this issue. But we'll get to that. Go ahead, continue your point. Um. Well, what do you think about some of the elements they've put on the table insofar as the Joker's potential origin? Okay, so let's just go ahead and barrel right into this, that it is implied that the Joker is very old. What exactly that means, we can't be sure. There is sort of this talk of the Greek gods, but pretty much all the Greek gods have been represented within the Wonder Woman book, within the New 52. Um so I, I don't really know who he could be. I don't know who hasn't been brought up that he would fit along with. Well, they but, say Di, Dion, but, Dionysus. But Dionysus but I, I is I already think, in... Well, I, I think that they're, they're being more metaphorical. Right, or, right. Or, so, but the overall implication is, is that the Joker has been around for a very long time. Possibly even as far back as, like, cavemen. Well... Not necessarily. They they do. They show a guy standing on the shore looking at like an old colonial an old ship. ship. Yeah. Um. And but they they do put him in the same vein as uh, Vandal Savage and Razo Ghul. And I don't know if this has been has been previously established, but they're insinuating that the 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 rocks like from the meteors that that, that or the meteor that landed on Earth during caveman times that Vandal Savage touched it has the same. Um, elements that are found in Lazarus pits mm -hmm. that Ra's al Ghul touches. Um, well, well uh, and I mean, here's, here's pretty much the line. Um, they're talking about this chemical. Uh, I thought it came from meteors, but I think it's indigenous to our planet. Uh, that's because it isn't. It's about them, the carriers in Gotham, people who encountered the chemical long ago and still walk among us. Here in Gotham, I've heard stories of a few. There's the Savage, who was among the oldest men alive. He encountered it in his Ross form, ran, you know, Vandal Savage. And there's the man, like a demon, who keeps pools of the chemical in secret pits around the world, a corrupted version but effective in its way. That's, of course, uh, uh, Ra's al Ghul. And him, the link back to Gotham, the pale man, the one who laughs at us, who encountered it sometime before Gotham rose. So, okay, I was a little confused, but it's just implied that he is back before Gotham itself. That he is a force that is older than, essentially, if you, I mean, if you want to get into the bigger parts of it, he's, an, he's a force older than Batman. He's at least as old as Gotham City. Uh, older than. Older than. I mean, he's, he's, he, they imply that he's been, you know, that he was probably a, col a colonist um, that, you know, went insane and was uh, exposed to the, the longevity-giving meteor uh, or some element thereof. Well, um, well and there's... there's uh, well, I guess the, the Lazarus... When you come out of the Lazarus pit, you're just wild. You're not necessarily insane. Yeah. And then there's that time that the Joker went into a Lazarus pit and came out being completely coherent and normal. Did that happen? That I don't remember where it happened. I think it was, it was kind of a like what if situation. But it, I'd, it, I'd like to look that up. Um, I can look it up right now. Keep talking. And, and the, I mean, this is a you know, this is a retooled DC universe, so not everything from previous uh, Batman stories might apply. Um, but okay, so yeah, it was Batman uh, Legends of the Dark Knight. That's where it happened. Um, 
Which is cool. I, I mean, I don't know if he's exposed to, if they imply that he's been exposed to a Lazarus pit. Because I thought with Lazarus pits, you have to continue to use them. Like, it doesn't get, like, Vandal Savage is just stuck as an immortal. Mm-hmm. But I know Ra- Ra's al Ghul, historically, or Rash, Rash al Ghul, um, is, you know, the, at least I think from, like, the cartoon, and it's probably the same thing in the comics, that, like, he has to continue to use the Lazarus pits to maintain his, um, immortality he does yeah that uh did you did because uh, did you catch that uh Stephen amell said that we've already seen a lazarus pit on arrow he does i don't know where we've seen it i There's, know that that the, they make the that uh british al ghul makes the uh the comment that he you know is over 65 years old like well, that, that he's right. still that he's been in his prime for more than sixty five years. Uh, well, the, he says that he hasn't been challenged to combat in sixty five years. Yeah. Um, sure. The the place that we see it is uh, when we first see Ra's al Ghul. He's emerging out of a pool. Um, yes. I'd have to rewatch that scene. I remember that. Yeah. But I think the I think the, the craziest revelation that came out of Batman number 38 was the involvement of Crazy Quilt. Oh, Crazy Quilt. That was so great. I think the, he's been hinted at before. Well, I know Snyder in interviews has been... Oh, has, like, no, that's like, right. I know there was like a... An, uh, what do they call him? An RMA or a- something? AMA from, on Reddit. Yes, a- I AMA now. on Reddit that, that he was going to incorporate Crazy Quilt in, uh, and this is how he did it. I was like, why does that guy have a quilt? And I was like, that's Crazy Quilt. Yeah, no, as soon as I saw, like, the kind of the patterns on the quilting, I was like, oh, man, he actually did it. He actually he, he did it. He used Crazy Quilt. Not then, Hugo uh, Strange, not the whatever other guy they said. It was Crazy Quilt. Yep, and then, of course, he dies. And then he dies, yeah. Yes. Because right. it's Crazy Quilt. Like, he never stood a chance. Yeah. Um, I mean, that you know, that was a lot of, that was definitely a lot of fun. That was something that if you know Batman history, that was really cool to come across. But I would say even, like, bigger than that, was the ending where I mean I'm talking about the very last page where you have Bruce standing before the court of owls and he says all right let's talk about history what exactly that means I don't know well how do you feel about the idea that they are as they're telling this this quote unquote end game story for the Joker that this is this is the last time Scott Snyder is going to write the Joker, but obviously mm-hmm. it's not the last the time the Joker's ever gonna be around now. Just it's just the nature of comic books. Whether, you know, whether he you know, he, he will appear again in the future of the new fifty two. Right. Uh, is, is there a Batman without the Joker? I mean that's you know, you can get into a whole thing with that. I, I personally think there is. I've had plenty of uh, how to kill the Joker stories in my head because I think it's a character that just this is almost a story that kind of answers why it's a sort of meta contextual um, story of like why the Joker endures when in all reality, he would have been killed a long time ago. Um, how I feel about him having any kind of origin, especially like a, a physical, a metaphysical one, a mystical one. I don't know. I mean, as long as it's a good story and we're, we're know. not, we're not going to get a definitive answer though, because yeah. that, that you know they're going to hint that oh maybe we'll tell one but at the end it's going to get down to it and it's going to be like was he the guy that got knocked into the the pit of chemicals back at ace chemicals or is he this you know metaphysical being that's been around forever or is he someone else that we have no idea that maybe he's maybe this isn't even the first joker this is a different joker like that's that's the whole thing about him 
is that, uh, you know, you kind of, you would kind of ruin it by giving him an definitive origin. Uh, you know, that's just like Wolverine. Let's just be honest here. Um, I'm just kidding. Actually, Origins is really great, but I think this is a character that that it works better when there's no idea. He has to be a force of nature. Whereas, like you, you need to, you need to be reminded that there is a man, and they actually make that point in this. I think a uh, a point of this arc is that Joker is so much greater that part of what he was doing was trying to elevate Batman to essentially godhood, mm-hmm. uh, and that Bruce ultimately rejects that. So now Joker is basically constantly reminding him that you are just a man. Well, and now You're... he's now he's grown tired of it, and so he says, "I'm going to destroy you completely." Yeah. It's, it's not just like, you know, he could have just shot Batman when he was in that the cell. It's, no, I need to, I need to tear apart everything you love, and that begins with Gotham. Mm-hmm. Which, I, you know, I wonder, how is that supposed to fit into uh, Eternal? Presumably um, before. Well, I think they're, they're establishing some of the, the mystical side here i think a lot of stuff that was going on with like the the tunnels under uh, excuse me under arkham mm-hmm. and like the that priest guy that was like the, that was revived from hell or whatever it was i think a lot of that leads into the joker's return okay. um, well well yeah no that's true i guess arkham is like destroyed by the time this starts this i mean this this story um you know you have alfred back where uh, I I don't I haven't been following uh, Eternal for probably ten plus issues now, so I don't yeah, know. I'm like I'm probably about up. eight issues off myself. But I mean, like Gordon, last time I checked, was still in prison. So on this, you know, this takes place takes place lineup that Gordon's been exonerated and he's back home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's another thing. It's it's one of those things where we've created this. I don't know how to describe it, like a cradle. I don't know. We're basically like characters like Alfred and Gordon. Those two specifically are like so protected that more than any other character, more than Dick or Tim or anyone that like, if you killed Alfred or Jim, Jim Gordon, that that would somehow throw the whole Batman paradigm. I, I could, you know, I could yeah. argue, I would argue that you could, you could kill Jim Gordon. And well, that's one of the things that they tease. And I think if they're going to do something big, like, what is I'm not saying that it always has to involve death, you know that, that that someone has to die that for the story to have some kind of impact. But you know, it, it, Alfred and, and Gordon, especially like these two characters that are like they are eternal, like they're they're almost they're like protected, they're like endangered species that like no one's allowed to kill. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm just feeling I I feel like with this, this being such a big bold Joker story, like. Someone has to die, and maybe that's that's narrow thinking. But I think, know, I, think it, in, it, I think it, in comic it, books to say someone has to die is you know is kind well, of it's ridiculous. Not like they, it's not like they can't bring them back. You know, well, then why then why does somebody have to die? Because know? comics, and because they they set it up where it was like like they're, you're creating this tension where like you know is Joker going to kill Gordon? Like here he is with like an axe in his chest. But wait, he's Jokerized, and he gets up, and he's, like, freaking out. But don't forget, he just had an axe in his oh, chest. Oh, he's survived worse. Come on, it's the mustache. It's not, the mustache protects him. It creates a barrier. Well, I would say I, I would say that the Jim Gordon, if you were to kill somebody who's incredibly close to Batman... By the way, I really loved that we got uh, Dick Grayson in this issue. 
Um, that was a nice touch. I also like, kind of liked how like Bruce was just being like a dick to him the whole time. Like, shut up. Like, this is what I need. Da, da, da. Yeah, but that also spoke like to the to the desperation of the whole thing. And I really like Dick's reaction to it, where he's not coming back and like yelling at him. He's like, no, please, like let us help you. And it gets to the point where Bruce has to say, I can't ask you to help me because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, there, it's definitely the desperation issue. It it is, and and I I thought in that in that way it was really really well handled. Where mm -hmm. we really get a hold of okay, Batman is at the point where he doesn't know what to do. The city is tearing itself apart. Like they show it to us just enough, and they show they like, they don't show like gory details of someone like bashing someone's head onto the ground. There's blood everywhere, but it's you see the citizens are like trying to gouge each other's eyes, and they're like going at each other, and they're trying to break and find everybody who's still normal, in a sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it you know it's just all culminating, and so Bruce has been driven to this point of desperation. He's going to go to you know, behind the Joker, especially within modern era, you know, the Joker is the force of nature that he's fighting, and he's always trying to fight for his city, and now he's going to the enemies of his city, which is uh, which is the Court of Owls. And it, it, it's interesting that you say that, 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 he, that they're the enemies of his city. From, the, the from, his, of, from his point from of his view. From his point of view. But in a lot of ways, you, you definitely can make the argument after reading the Court of Owls storyline that, like, they are the city. That, that, did, that's in their did, that's in their perspective. Exactly. I mean, they're 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 more intertwined in the history of Gotham than Batman's ever been. You know, Batman's a modern influence. True. You know, whereas the the owls have you know been there since the formation of the city, much like the Joker. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that's maybe. definitely tying into maybe. the maybe maybe maybe. So I think that's tying into it, and I also think that Snyder had said that there were plans to bring Lincoln March back into focus. There, there. That's also what he said on on Reddit. Uh, what exactly that you know he was very dodgy on the details and all, a lot of the stuff. But with the timing of it, I would think there would have to be some time in this storyline. It's he... not the storyline. Then the follow up. I think if the court out now, I didn't see for some reason. I just I didn't think to, that the old court of owls were going to play a role. The fact that they are makes me very intrigued because mm -hmm. I, I definitely did enjoy the Court of Owls story. Um, but I'm I'm just, you know, this kind of feels like the arc that's kind of taking, you know, elements from Zero Year, elements from Death of the Family, and elements it, of Court of Owls and combining them into one. It is, and I mean, maybe that's part of the name there, Endgame. Like, that's that, you know, this is the endgame of all of these things that he's been setting up. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd be really curious to see... Court of Owls continue on because I think Court of Owls and Professor Pig are, you know, two of the best Batman villains that have been introduced within recent years. And I feel like we haven't really gotten a lot out of Professor Pig since Morrison dropped him. Uh, and, you know, I would just really hate for whoever takes over Batman eventually. You know, I'm not saying like right away, but within the next like few years, if we don't get a Court of Owls story, I'll be kind of sad. You know, there's a lot, I think there's a lot to be done there. And you yeah. know, I and I and I even read Talon, and there's a ton there. But I think there's something about connecting it to Batman that's, that that makes it really cool and really special. I wonder when we're going to see more Kelvin Rose as well. You know, I need to finish Talon, uh, so I'm not sure what his final fate was. I know he's alive. I know he, that he is alive, but there, I think there's kind of the implication that he's done. Uh, you know what? I don't. I don't mind some spoilers. Uh, why don't? You know, let's let's kind of transition away here, uh, cool, cool. towards something else. While I'm, 
you know, kind of looking this up. And, uh, you know, you, you, why don't we talk about something that, because uh, you read some stuff that I didn't this week. So, uh, I mean, besides Batman, I was able to read Uncanny Avengers, the, the, new, the new volume of Uncanny Avengers. And I found it quite delightful. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so just real quick, apparently it seems like he is just uh, at large currently. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I didn't read the final issue, but I know that he like died and then was uh, talonized. He was, yes. And then I think he was detalonized, but still alive. So now he's like alive, alive. Apparently, he was part of Batman Incorporated. Apparently. Okay. Anyway, so go ahead and uh, tell us tell us more about Uncanny, whatever, and the such. All right. Well, I know that we we had talked about Axis on this show and sort of our you know grumbles about it that it you know it didn't quite live up to my expectations. I think it had a lot of structural issues. Um, but I, I Remender has been a, a writer that I've um, always admired uh, uh, in a lot of his work, and this is what I would call a return to form. Yes. It picks up with a lot of elements from that were left over from Axis. Mm-hmm. Um, including like Sabretooth's inversion, um, uh, the the central driving mystery of this of this new volume, at least this first arc, is the the uh, who the uh, father is of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, um, which I know is a pretty controversial topic for a lot of uh, Marvel fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the structure of the issue, uh, it, it drops you into the story. In a way that um, is like it, you don't like the exposition doesn't drag it down. It's sort of like we're going we're going to start in media res, but then we're going to bog down with like how we got to where we started. It's all very natural. Uh, one of the things I read in an interview with Remender was about how I think he actually wrote the first issue to the series mm-hmm. and then scrapped it and then started the second issue where he left off from the first issue. So, like, this opens up with Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver on a planet called Counter-Earth. Uh, uh, of which, course. Which, um, if, you're, if you remember the uh, Spider-Man Unlimited cartoon, uh, it's basically the same idea, a planet of, like, evolved animal people. I think we've established um, on the show that I do not accurately remember that cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> Most people try not to. But there's something charming about it. Um, but... Uh, uh, anyway, so Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are looking for their parentage. I think it's going to be set up as being the High Evolutionary, um, who's a character I don't know a lot about, um, but I know that he's um, crazy. He sounds like a member of the KKK. He, uh, I guess that's not entirely wrong, huh. but not the KKK. He's just someone where he's he's a normal human that became obsessed with like genetics and perfection. Okay. Um, so he basically goes to this mountain called Mount Wondercore, and he basically just does all these crazy experiments that also involve like uh, hyper evolving animals into like humanoid beings. Um, and somewhere along the way, that creates a planet called Counter Earth, where it's kind of like a utopia of animal people, but he's like their high ruler. That's where Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are, and I, I honestly think that he's going to be the one revealed as their father. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's something that's are also we, lining up with... Are we movie, saying father but... in air quotes in the sense of he is their father creator? Uh, or... I think biological father. I don't know. Okay. He, I don't know if they're going to keep their mother. This, their, they, their mother was always said to be a woman named Magda, a yeah. normal human. 
and that Magneto had relations with her, and I don't think they're discrediting relations, that. relations, baby making relations. Um, but either Magda got around uh, with yeah, his, she did uh, uh, homicidal uh, maniacs, um, or or she has, a, she has a type. She has, she has a type. She just digs homicidal maniacs, uh, or you know they they might establish that they also have a different mother. It's it's hard to say. They there is there there is potential precedence. For for the high evolutionary, mostly because they, the, the two characters were raised on Mount Wendigore, the same mountain that the high evolutionary kind of, you know, like they crap on. So like, it's a natural way to connect them. Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not that's the same route that they take in the Marvel movies, I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, from there, um, we meet up with the rest of the uh, new Avengers Unity Squad. Uh, namely, Rogue is kind of this... Uh, she's in desperation mode because at this point, Scarlet Witch has been missing. So she kind of assembles a, a ragtag team to help find them, find her. Uh, and that includes the new Captain America, Sam Wilson, uh, the recently resurrected Brother Voodoo, um, the Vision, who is the Scarlet Witch's ex-husband. Right. Um, and Sabretooth, who is in Avengers custody, and he's not operating as an official member. Basically, he's on a leash and being used as a tracker dog. Hmm. Um, but he, and that was one of the things I liked where he, you know, he's inverted and like he's, instead of being associate, like he, he went from being a sociopath without, with, with not having any kind of feelings towards another human being to all of a sudden feeling you know, being able to connect with other human beings in a way that makes him feel remorseful about his previous actions. But that, you know, it doesn't change everything about it. Like he calls rogue, um, frail, like he still makes kind of saber toothy comments, mm -hmm. but I mean, he's not going to go so, so far as to kill for the, the, the base enjoyment of killing. Right. Um, so I think it's, it, well, uh, saber <laughs> Wolverine, I think saber is going to be an interesting character to watch because he's a character where you can't, you, you know, he he could potentially follow a similar trajectory as Wolverine, but because mm -hmm. his his moral realignment is forced, unlike Wolverine, who actually had to work to become a better person, it's one of those things where no matter how much um, progress he makes, like it could all be undone if the inversion wears off or someone whatever ch you know changes him back or something. So that there's kind of a, t a ticking time bomb aspect to Sabretooth's new Sabretooth's 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 someone's Hawkeye 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 to Victor Creed's um, moral realignment so I think that's interesting uh, it's interesting having the vision there because of his history with uh, uh, Scarlet Witch uh, Quicksilver is of course involved um, uh, Sam Wilson is the new Captain America uh, it's just, it's, I, what I liked was it was a really well-structured issue. It established the, the new conflict. Um, it, it doesn't – it rushes, but it doesn't feel rushed on how they get, they get the team together. Uh, mm -hmm. It feels all very natural, and it sets up a lot of intriguing mysteries. Uh, basically, when the, the, the rest of the Avengers team um, kind of gets involved in the greater conflict, like they get split up, forcibly split up. So you get the characters all in these different places on counter-Earth. Um, kind of dealing with different aspects of this overall mystery of who is Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch's real father, um, and probably uh, more things that are going to involve the next, you know, mm -hmm. eighteen issues of the book. Remender tends to deal in like eighteen to twenty-four issue arcs. Good lord! Um, okay. So um, 
that something some aspects of this book are probably going to survive secret wars but i don't know it, it just it, it given just how lack how um messy of access was this was a very clean well-structured script uh with fantastic artwork from daniel acuna very cool now you know you know where i want this whole thing to end up i want them to be on the maury povich show and i want there uh to, to be a moment where they're all sitting down and then he's got you know maury povich has got the envelope and he says hi evolutionary you are not the father and you know he's like freaking out like i told you i wasn't the father and like scarlet witch is crying in the corner and it's just you know it'd be i think it'd be a really great family entertainment if that's how the whole thing ended up that would that would be fine it would almost be such a troll move if marvel ultimately reveals that um magneto is still their father the whole time yeah it's like oh are they is it he's not gonna be the father so we can use him in the movie oh no no just the loophole and I was doing some research, and historically, like, their, their parentage hasn't always been clear-cut. There was a time where they were convinced that the wizard, um, <laughs> the, I, I want to clarify, the, the wizard, not the wizard. Um, yeah, not the wizard, it's funnier wizard, that way. As in, as in the peeing man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boys. Yeah, we're, um, we're so mature. We're so mature. Um, a Golden Age uh, speedster character was actually their father. Um, that was debunked. There was something else that I can't remember. There was, uh, you know, when they were first introduced, Magneto was not supposed to be their father. I, I don't know when they first clarified that he was, but it, it wasn't clear cut from their their first appearance together. That they were simply twins that Magneto rescued to join his Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it? And I was even I was reading something on uh, comic book resources that there was an issue of Avengers. This was not long after the X-Men book was canceled. If you didn't know that the X-Men's were, the X-Men book was actually unpopular huh. once one time and uh, it was canceled for a few years, actually. Wow. Uh, and, and during this time, uh, the Avengers were facing Magneto and he was doing, he was using his magnetic powers t- to mind control us by through the iron in our blood. That that's just that that's what happened. Oh, that sounds like such a like. When was this? The Avengers number one hundred and ten. So it could be the early seventies. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say that sounds like a, a storyline they would do back then. Um, um, but he actually has like I don't remember the exact reason, but he basically has the Scarlet Witch dance form. Like he takes control of her. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw that. Earlier. And then and then she like dances for him, which was like it's creepy to you know mind control someone and do make them do things against their own will it's creepier for the longest time because she was his daughter um and it's seemingly less creepy now that she's not his daughter but still creepy because you shouldn't control people without their consent so if you if you want to mind control somebody people what we're saying is get like a release form that they will consign and do a do a paternity test for just to make sure that you know that that this person yeah because uh, that's just, that's a, uh, wait, nope, I'm not going to spoil that movie. Oh, I want to know what movie you're talking about now. You know what I'm talking about. No, I, no, no, I don't. Are you sure? I'm sure. If you truly thought, you would know. Like a, a movie where, like, just, yeah, type it into Skype there. Let me see. Let me see what you're, <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, oh, yeah, man. So, not gonna say it. That movie. Oh um, boy. Oh, the Korean version. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
Good movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have very different definitions of the word good. Uh, good in a... All right, anyway, anyway. 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 Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was a good book. Uh, it definitely rejuvenates me to want to read, you know, to to see where this goes. Um, if, if Daniel Cunha keeps drawing it, I'm totally there. Like, his artwork was just, very, you know, very well... Uh, very detailed, you know, detailed in all the right ways. The storytelling was clear, uh, and it was just fun to look at. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Uncanny Avengers Volume Two, Number One, uh, check it out. All right, very cool. Uh, I don't really have anything to say on that because I have not read it. So, let us continue on now. Um, I guess we'll we'll move on to our still unnamed uh, question or unnamed section where we mull over hypothetical questions. And this week's question uh, comes from the mind of Nick. So why don't you go ahead and set us up here? All right. So I had uh, I, I it was probably through Bleeding Cool. It was some kind of baseless rumor. Not necessarily baseless. It came from somewhere, but uh, at least so far it's not true. But it basically was that Warner Brothers is in financial straits, but they actually are to some extent, because I know they've been laying off um, employees. But either way, it was the idea that some of their assets, if not all their assets, could be sold off, and that one of the buyers would be Disney, and one of the assets that could be sold was DC Comics. Um, So that Disney could buy DC Comics, thus having control of both Marvel and DC's catalog of characters. And so the question I posed to you was that if that were to come to pass where Disney would own both Marvel and DC and you were put in as like the chief creative officer of both universes, you know, um, like how would you go about, what would you do with that? Like how would you turn around and pitch that to Disney? Like this is what I think would be the most financially, you know, uh, fruitful option by now having these two powerhouse fran- um, uh, comics line under our belt, you know, what would you do? Would you merge the universes? Would you keep them separate? Would you reboot both? Would you combine them? Would you just do cross? Like, what, what would you do? Okay. First of all, if I could not talk Disney out of it and it came down to where it actually had to happen, uh, the first thing I would do is I would keep them as far from each other as possible. I would not merge the universes. I would not hard reboot them. I would leave them, you know, as is. Sure, there's things you could tweak about both of them, whatever. But go ahead. Like, you, you would need to keep the offices or whatever as good a distance as you possibly could. Let these companies continue to be separate, quote-unquote separate, and creating their individual pieces of work because within our current comics industry we need those two universes they do challenge each other in a lot of ways um i don't i don't you know, there's no other company that i could see like coming up to fill a void like if you just went ahead and nuked dc and all you had was marvel it wouldn't be very interesting. People would get incredibly upset, by the way. And this, I mean, this goes the same way if they decided to nuke Marvel and, and leave DC intact. People would riot. I mean, I don't want to say riot. I mean, okay, comic nerds would write very aggressive comments <laughs> on the internet. The same as rioting. Yeah. You do have people who, you know, 
like people are going to find out like hey batman is gone and you're going to have a like a big giant worldwide panic and you can't just say oh bring batman over to the marvel universe it's like well what are you going to are you going to go ahead and bring gotham to this new marvel you can't just stick him into new york and be like okay you and all of your bat family now exist here but it's not the world that you've operated in it's not your city uh all of your fr- you know most of your friends are gone because we just wanted you superman wonder woman you know, you, you. I don't think there's there's no way you could do that where you delete part of the universe and and bring part of it over. I think it does open the window for some fun crossovers, like stuff we had uh, back with like the Amalgam comics uh, when they used to do like uh, JLA versus the or JLA slash the Avengers or versus the Avengers, whatever. You know, that does open the door for a lot more fun stuff. But I think all in all. I would want these two to remain separate and to keep doing what they're doing because these are these are well-loved characters but they're also money-making characters. Um you know these 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 books are vi- you know they're they're viable enough financially that these companies have decided to keep them around. Uh as far as movies go I, I wouldn't want to merge the two movie universes either because Marvel is, is already getting really big and it could get really unwieldy already on its own. And if you try to add in the DC universe that it's going to be absolutely unwieldy, it would be just, just frightening. Um, you know, it, it would be cool to kind of have some of the creative team from the Marvel movies be able to plug in to, to the DC uh, movies only in the sense that, you know, whatever Marvel's got going on over there has been handled incredibly well, and people have been very well received. And while I'm still very, very optimistic about what DC is going to do, I know a lot of people aren't as optimistic, and yeah, there might be a little bit of warranted uh, concern. And so if you had these people who have had their hands in making the Marvel Universe what it is, kind of go over and, and, and help shape the DC stuff a bit, things might be a little more in line in the way that they, you know, the way that comic book superhero movies should be. And, I, you know, I feel like I'm just rambling on, on certain points now. Uh, but, I mean, ultimately, I would keep them separate. I would let them to continue to churn out what they're churning out right now. Uh, do my best to keep, not not the rivalry, not the competition, um, the, the dichotomy of what they are to keep that, going because mm-hmm. we need you know we we need the big two and maybe some people are going to disagree with me on that that's fine please send me your thoughts share your thoughts on that but i absolutely think that that we do if you're going to have one big superhero company with a big combined universe you need another one on the other side to to push it to you know to help take risks because if it's just marvel doing what marvel's doing you know they're going to not do as much stuff as they are now. They're not going to take as many risks because they have the you know they have the market cornered, or they're going to start doing really insane, stupid stuff. Because what are you going to do? Read Archie? Well, uh, maybe, maybe Mark Wade is writing Archie now. Well, true, and there's going to be an Archie versus Predator comic, which I'm going to read just purely out of curiosity. And you ever read the uh, Archie versus Punisher? No, and I haven't read uh, Afterlife with Archie either, which I know some people will probably shut this off as soon as I say that, because I hear Afterlife with Archie is amazing. I've heard it's good, uh, and I know that it spawned like a Sabrina the Teenage Witch kind of creepy 
version of it. Uh, anyway, um, interesting. I mean, I, I think what you're saying probably mirrors how a lot of people feel that that the two universes should stay separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am basically with you on that. I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on that. But for the fun of it. Well, okay, yeah. If you, I mean, if we're talking about for the fun of it, there's a lot other stuff I would say and or do. But you asked, like, in a yeah. like legitimate sense, what I would do, and that's what I would do. Let's oversimplify things because in yeah, that simplification well. terms, there's always a, a dominant, let's say, force and a, a submissive force. There's always a light side and a dark side. That too, but in this case, if if the universe, if the Marvel and the DC universe were to merge. Which one do you think would take precedence? In so far as like, is it that that um, you know that the that like Gotham and Metropolis at the very least, you know, became were incorporated into uh, the Marvel universe, or do the Marvel characters get transported to the DC universe? So that I mean, they're basically all in New York anyway, you know. So you know, instead of I, I, I mean, in a sense, I guess the question goes both ways. But I imagine that these books were to exist there would be a feeling of that like one universe was being prioritized over the other as far as like setting aesthetics go i feel like um because of the success they've had under marvel or under disney uh it would absolutely be marvel that that's that's the one that's going to have priority because you know oh whatever's going on over there currently is making us money like let's not shake up that status quo as any more than we absolutely have to yeah. Now I'm just trying to envision Batman hanging around with the Avengers. Like I'm trying to like I'm like rewatching Joss Whedon's Avengers in my head, but with Batman as a member in it, and it's hilarious. Um, it's yeah, it's one of those things. Like, I know that one thing people were kind of like sticklers about, and, and maybe they weren't wrong, was the incorporation of the Wildstorm universe into the main DC universe, like having like the authority Stormwatch, like those, you know, the gen 13, the, the wildcats, all those characters operating as part of the greater DC universe. You know, it, one of the things, especially with like the authority was that like they were essentially, you know, extreme justice league, you know, doing the mm-hmm. things like you were seeing the authority go like evolve into something that the justice league never could because of the nature of their storytelling. To have, so to have them kind of fold into a universe with the Justice League and not be able to go like some of the things that happens in like the Authority comic like you just you can't see happen in you know DC and, and, and in a lot of ways the things that happen in the Authority comics led to the whole Wildstorm universe becoming unviable because it, it just took things so far so seeing so trying to imagine a way to incorporate um DC characters into the Marvel universe or Marvel characters in the DC universe. It just kind of fascinates me. Like how could you make it so that like Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and Flash and Greenland, like in this case, like Marvel has the Nova Corps. So if you were to say, if you were to create this mismatch universe, you would say, okay, Nova Corps versus Green Lantern Corps. Green Lantern Corps is going to win. So wipe the Nova Corps out, incorporate the Green Lantern Corps as like the, the core people, you know, um, other, you know, you kind of take some of the things that like, that are beloved in the Marvel universe, but are kind of like, um, pastiches of DC concepts, like get rid of them 
or concepts in the DC universe that are kind of passages of Marvel concepts, get rid of them. Incorporate the things that are uniquely each universe into one thing. I just think would be really interesting. And then you see, and here's another sort of sub-question. If they were combined, and like various DC characters and various Marvel characters were kind of like combined into like this one team, would they be called the Avengers or would they be called the Justice League? Hmm... They would probably have a new name and would probably be awful. Because let's be honest, like, the Justice League and the Avengers aren't particularly great names. They're just names that have been around for years and years and years now. And we're kind of just, like, desensitized to. We are. Even in the Justice League origin, the New 52 origin, like, they kind of had to, like, when they were just like, what would we call ourselves? Like, they had to have to flash, like, jokingly be like, oh, we should called this or this or this and like i know that like uh, that that like when it comes to code names and team names it's like it's easy to pull off in a comic book but like when you're trying to put it into a real world context like why would someone call themselves that and take Mm -hmm. it seriously and and yeah the avengers you know and justice league are kind of hokey names that have just stood the test of time for whatever reason you know if anything names like the protectors or the defenders makes a lot more sense um because i, I guess the avengers do a, the occasional avenging or two but, yeah yeah a lot of it seems like preemptive work at this point yeah i mean i mean well, not even preemptive re- reactive a lot of times these characters are reacting to the an explosion here a world conqueror there after they've revealed themselves typically in a horrific manner Getting off point, uh, I think the final word on this particular hypothetical question is I think the realistic answer is that to to keep both universes viable, they would need to remain separate. It would be interesting to have them under one legal umbrella just because there wouldn't be any barriers to having even like a a universe crossover thing. And I I think that that there's a lot of cool elements that could be done there. And I would like I I think of not just like an Amalgam universe, which was you know fun for what it was, but to create kind of like if if they were to come uh, come together and then make like a new Ultimate Earth, but it was like a, a Marvel DC you know hybrid, where it's like the characters themselves were operating in the same universe. I think that would be fun to see as like a little micro universe of publishing books, but. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Keep them separate, realistically, but for the fun of it, it, uh, it would be fun to see a mishmash of the characters. No, no, I, I, I think yeah. If you did have the two, you would have to have you know universe number you know fifty-seven is is secretly you know the combined universe. Not, not you know not necessarily amalgam, but you know kind of like as you were saying. All right, it's inter- it's an interesting question. If you have thoughts on it, or if you have a question you want to pose to us, please send us an email at heckyeahcomics at gmail dot com. We would love to hear your thoughts or to uh, debate your question on air. Uh, before we move to the news, uh, Nick, I have a question for you. A question or a quiz? Well, one may lead to the other. Uh, okay. Did you read the guide, the Multiversity Guidebook that came out today? I didn't. I haven't had a chance to flip through it, though. So uh, you're saying that uh, if I were to ask you questions about the particular Earths, you may not know the answers. If if all the questions are coming from the guidebook directly and they aren't from previous 
revelations of the DC universe, it's very possible that I don't know anything. Well, Nick. Okay. Uh, if you fail this quiz, your family will be consumed by Darkseid and his team of demons and spread across the multiverse as they uh, destroy everything in their wake. As wow, a... that's uh, kind of big. Yeah, so it'd be horrifying. So you better be ready now for the Multiversity Guidebook Quiz. Oh, you're basically setting me up for failure, but okay, let's go. That's kind of the fun of it. Uh, which Earth is the Bizarro Earth? You want the the number? The number, yes, the number. Uh, 25. Ooh, so close. What was it? Earth 29. Ooh. Let's see here. Uh, Oh, man, this one was was so cool. I'd like to see more of this. Uh, All right, which Earth... Uh, is home to the Justice Riders. Uh, 17. Oh, man, you were so close. It was 18. <laughs> oh, it's so depressing to be you. It is. You really are putting my family and friends to the ringer. Uh, how many of the Earths are currently unknown, created by an inner chamber of seven monitor magi for a mysterious purpose? What? Yeah, there's uh there's a few different Earths that are unknown currently. Of the of the fifty two Earths. It says number you know number like five of blank unknown worlds. How many unknown worlds are there? Five. Oh, seven. Uh... Oh man, it really sucks that you've already failed. But we're not gonna stop now. You have two more questions. This is a brutal quiz. Like, this was set up for me not to win. I mean, you know... I mean, I've been getting close, but mostly out of, like, completely pulling it out of my butt. In which world are all the superheroes we know and love vampires? Uh, 38. Oh, 43. (sighs) They rule the night as the Blood League. The Blood League. Yep, no, number 38 is uh, the Batman and Superman that age normally and they pass on their uh, their uh, titles to their children. The uh, one from The Just? No, no, no. It's a different one. You'll see when you eventually read it over. Uh, okay. Was that five? Was that five? That was, no, that was four. That was unfair four. Unfair questions. <laughs> There's one more to go. Which world is home of the psychedelic champions of the Love Syndicate of Dreamworld? What the led, heck? led by Sunshine Superman. What? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Forty-four. Uh, oh man, forty-seven. Oh. Uh, oh, that was horrifying for you. You set me up to fail. Oh, you know what? You could have just read the damn guidebook. You're right. Let me carve out more time in my day. Uh, this is an $8 book. It's a big book. It is big. There's a lot of cool stuff in here. In some of these worlds, I really, really like. Um, some some we've already seen before, uh, but there's some, some really cool stuff. And there's some really cool artists that did some of the... Uh, some of the um, you know pictures of like the different teams from around the multiverse. All right, but anyway, we've got so much news to talk about that we should we should get a move on here.
We should keep on keeping on. Uh, let's just go ahead and start with the Fantastic Four teaser. Nick, your thoughts? Well, after, what, months and months and months, if not years of speculation, we finally see what it's all about, and you know what? It don't look that bad. It's, it's... It's a little I, darker than I want it to be. It's darker, and I kept, and I, I think the best way that I can, can put this is that it's not the Fantastic Four movie that I've had in my head, but for what it is, I think it's going to be a compelling watch. Mm, um, yeah. It's definitely darker. Uh, I would argue the necessity of quote unquote grittiness. Um, it's it definitely. I know that uh, Josh Trank, um, the director. Uh, cites uh, David Cronenberg as an influence. I certainly see a Ridley Scott feel as, insofar as like Alien or Prometheus goes. Uh, sort of a, 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 a an unclean sci-fi. Right. Um, um, the, el- the A lot of the elements that are in play are actually from the Ultimate Universe. Uh, Which we, we already knew. That... Um, yeah, they, they brought that up. But it seemed like... Uh, there's there was it was surrounded in such secrecy that people were like oh it's just chronicle two or it, well, we, like, did, we, just, did, we didn't know what to qualify it as we didn't but i think that's one of those things where it's just like don't worry i think speculation is fun uh, wondering what it thinks could be it's it's there are is great but i think that it's more kind of calling out the people that were just baselessly upset okay but okay no it's i I wouldn't call it baselessly upset because we were hearing absurd things or things that like we didn't have any context for like oh man doom is a blogger like what he's a a programmer um no the the word they used was blogger i don't care if he's a programmer it's the words they used to describe him okay He's he's got a blogging handle. If if anyone was going to have a blogging handle, it would be Doctor Doom. He can't not talk about himself, and all people that have blogs usually talk about themselves. So it makes perfect sense. But um, it also looks like who that Victor Domashev, which I'm actually cool with the name change, um, is somehow involved with the, the the project that leads to the Fantastic Four getting powers. Um, I don't know, just from what I see, it looks cool. I'm curious, like, how much time do they spend in the the other, like, did they do, instead of space travel, it's dimension travel, mm-hmm. um, which was an element of Ultimate Fantastic Four. And I'm wondering, and, I, and I'm going on a limb here, and a, a limb here and assuming that it's the negative zone. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even say that's going out on a limb. That's, it seems pretty, pretty Yeah, it seems pretty clear. Where else would they go? Um... I'm curious how much time of the movie is spent in the negative zone, uh, how much time is spent on Earth. I also felt, and this is more humorous, that I felt like I was watching the Interstellar trailer. There's like the scene in the beginning where like there's a car driving on a dirt road, and and like the, like the with the somber music and like the voiceover, it was just like, oh, oh this is Interstellar. Well, and, uh, and they were probably trying to drum up that feeling that you know that we all had when we first saw the Interstellar. I mean, not everyone had that feeling, but I was so curious and so excited when I first saw the Interstellar trailer. And it's like it, it wound up all these feelings of like you know we've lost our ideas, explorers. Um, it, and and it, I thought they were definitely trying to emulate that idea in this. 
And I, I think the Fantastic Four embody that concept of exploring the unknown. Um, so yeah, I think I think Interstellar, if that's what, if that was done intentionally, is a great thing to to emulate. Um, as far as the cast goes, I don't think we've really had a discussion about them. Um, I would say that uh, Kate Mara, you know, I think will do a great job I as think, Invisible Woman. I think everybody um, looks fine. I don't. You yeah, know. yeah. I think I think a short version. I think they'll all do just. Fine. Yep. So. It has me. It has me at least a little bit curious. I'm glad that we're finally seeing something. Mm-hmm. You know, we're you know, it's not like a set photo. It's you know, we're actually getting to see some stuff in action. Kind of, we don't get to see the actual powers in play. Like there's the hint of it, but we don't actually get to fully see it. We get an idea of what their costumes are going to look like, which the redesigns are fine. You know, whatever. But it's not really a costume. It's like this is the origin of the origin. Like they're wearing containment suits which again I'm well, okay no, 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 no. There's, there's, there's some scene where they're wearing these black suits yeah that's containment suits that's okay containment well suits. I don't like, there's there's the suits that they're wearing when they're getting into those pods and then but I think that's like over their containment suits uh I don't I, I don't anyway um not I don't, not, I don't not, think, not so important so I, I think that the, the four characters bond over the experience that they go through I don't think that like I mean, I think they know each other, but I don't think that they... They're not a team. They probably don't become like well, a team if, if, team until the end of the film. No, if, if, they're going with, if they're going with the ultimate origin, which it sounds like they are, I mean, obviously you have the brother and sister, uh, uh, Sue and Johnny, but then you also have the other side, Reed and his, you know, best friend since childhood, you have uh, him and Ben. And then, the you know, the four of them come together through whatever happenstance. So I don't want to be negative on this but i do have you know while it has drummed up curiosity it has also brought up some other concerns and those concerns like i've like i mentioned before is that this looks very grim dark like oh like there's like i feel like there's going to be a lot of angst in this movie you know we know they're going to be younger they're going to be dealing with the fact that they have changed on a physiological level like puberty Uh, exactly and fantastic four is always a you know Yes, they have their issues, but they're always a a superhero team that I kind of have a a you know a, a, in my head I have this sort of fun image of them, uh, and I know you know in recent years they've brought in all the family drama, uh, which has which has really been great, but that's been a long time coming. Uh, it's not something they just opened right out right out the gate with. Um, you know, the, this is this is the the people who never really had secret identities. They were always superheroes. Uh, they were always famous, and they you know more like super jerks. Well, okay, I, yes, yes, we know you read the first I, issue today. I, I was reading the first issue of Fantastic Four today, my fearless listeners, and man, were they all superheroes! All superheroes were once upon a time jerks. It's just how it is. Like it's just it's hilarious how jerk offy they were like yeah. just like just sort of like no it's it's almost funny like, like back then they clicked the writers and stuff were just like let's just have fun with it like let's they just were all teenagers hard about it and nowadays we have to like overanalyze like where does cyclops laser beams like eye beams come from like they must come from the punch dimension you know whereas like back then it's just like and they weren't teenagers in the original comics they you know reed, reed was well, no, no 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 i'm saying i'm saying people writing at the time were pretty much teenagers Pretty much. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just funny, like how inconsistent well, I guess these Stanley, four were in particular. Still. 
but but it's just it's it's just funny is but but but, yeah what i'm trying to say is that yeah i mean yeah they were jerks whatever but there was always sort of like a little bit of fun about them you know you have you have ben who's like it's you know it's clobber in time you have johnny who's the hot shot who you know he's, he's the ladies man he could literally turn on fire he's that hot you have, you know, Reed, he's like the scientist, he's brilliant, and he's like writing on a chalkboard over here while his other arm's over here writing equations on this chalkboard. You have Sue turning invisible. Uh, you know, there, there was always a, a little bit of a lightheartedness to them. And, I, you know, coming through to this, it's like, oh, everything is going to suck. It's, uh, it sucks so much to be the Fantastic Four. We have these superpowers and everything sucks. And I, you know, not to say that they can't tell a really compelling story. It's just I don't want it all to be about how terrible it is to be them, which is that sort of the hints that you know from this alone. That's sort of the way that it felt. Now, you know, I'm I'm holding entire judgment until we see a full trailer. And you know, I'm I'm only even kind of saying that because of how Chronicle was, mm-hmm. and I really really liked like, Chronicle is great. But Chronicle is not a, a you know a story about superheroes that we've previously known. Yeah. This is, and it's already coming. Like it, part of the reason this, this is under such scrutiny is because of the first two really terrible films. And yes, we're going to be a little bit more wary because yes, you have to do something that's very different. But in the risk to do something very different, you can go too far mm-hmm. in the other direction. So yes, this trailer did make my did pique my curiosity. Visually, things look really, really great. I don't think that's going to be an issue here. I am, you know, I just want to know more. And in that case, the teaser has done its job. Uh, and it has done its job. It is nice to just kind of see it out there in the open. Uh, I definitely will probably be there on opening day to see it. I hope I'd be curious to see if some of the people that were just like fervently hating it though have kind of like pulled back on. Oh no 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 no! Their based, based based on based on this one and a half minutes alone, no, there wasn't enough there for anybody. I bet this has created even more haters. Oh, exactly. But... It's 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 and if anything, it's fueled the people who were like, "See, see, I was right the whole time." Ooh, you know, I don't know if people noticed this. So one of the I was reading. Um, I don't know if it was CBR or Newsarama or someone. They kind of did like five things we noticed in the trailer, and they talk about one of the like the white plane that you see mm-hmm. in one scene, and when they're all standing looking at the like the lightning show, like the giant laser in the sky. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the negative zone, or we're led to believe it's the negative zone. I think they're in the negative zone, um, looking at the laser beam, which is probably going to Earth, but you actually see the the plane inside the light. Okay. I'm just saying that's intriguing. There's a lot of things that play in this. I, I'm really curious how it plays out. Yes. There's still very much unknown, and I'm sure we will we will pass judgment on a final we will pass final judgment on a final product. I guess one of my big questions for the movie is how do they address the Johnny and Ben problem? One thing that they did to address Sue Storm Sue Storm's involvement was that uh, an ultimate in the ultimate universe she was just as as much a uh, genius as Reed. And I liked that. I really did. And that actually. that was a great um uh twist on the character. I don't remember um, why Ben and Johnny were there. It's in, been forever since I've read In it. the ultimate universe, Johnny was there because he was Sue's brother, his their dad ran the program that was that was um developing Reed's transdimensional uh teleporter. So basically it was just kind of like Johnny could stand there and watch. Mhm. 
Um, ben was there. He literally just kind of walks in on the scene. Like they, like they established that he was a childhood friend of Reed's. And then like, as they're develop, like, as they're at the site of like, they're, they're going to do the, the, the teleporting thing. Apparently Ben was on like a cross country hike and he like shows up and is like, I wouldn't have missed this despite being like a completely secure, like confidential, you know, government project, you know, Oh, but thanks for letting me end. I'm just going to stand here and watch like, it was kind of like the, the there's just they're the two characters where it's kind of hard to explain why they're there. Yeah, but but you know, out of that whole thing, we got we got you know the the hoofed doom that can shoot lightning out of his hands, and that was pretty awesome. Are you being sarcastic? No, I actually really liked that. Oh, okay. Then yeah, yeah, that was totally I, awesome. I liked their version of Doom a lot. All right, you know, we we still got a good amount of stuff to talk about. So let's move on to, um, you know, most of this, I'm realizing, is movie and TV news. But this is a big, uh, you know, big, big week for that stuff. So uh, in Supergirl news, we have two bits of casting. One that actually just came out right before we started recording. So you have uh, Melissa, uh, how would you pronounce that? Melissa Benoist? Ben Benoist? Benoist, Ben Benoist. Uh, anyway, she has been cast as the titular character of Supergirl. Did you say titular? Titular, yeah. Is it really pronounced titular? Yeah, titular. Oh, man. I don't know how I've said it in my head. I don't think I've ever, like, pronounced it. Hey, she is also an alum. Alum? Alum. Alum, I okay, that's what I thought. Alumni, alum. She was also an alum from Glee. I believe Grant Gustin from The Flash is a Glee alum. Yeah, that is actually where he got his start. Yep. So or where I mean, where he kind of came in more into the public eye. Uh, so yeah, Glee, you know, for all of its shortcomings, apparently is uh, is you know popping out some of its side characters onto bigger and better things. Um, anyway, we don't really know a whole lot about the show. Uh, it, it centers on uh, Kara. Is it Kara or Kara? It's, Ka- it's uh, Kara. So Kara Zor-El, the cousin of Superman. Uh, she arrives at Earth, and she's been hiding her powers. Uh, now at 24, she decides to embrace her superhuman abilities and be the hero she was always meant to be. Uh, I think, you know, I don't know this girl's acting ability, but I think she's got a good look for it. Uh, this variety photo is actually not my favorite. Um, other ones I've seen of her actually look pretty good, mm-hmm. as far as comparison wise. No, I we don't. I'm curious if they're going to dye her blonde. I think she would be a pretty good looking blonde. But I I know in Supergirl's old origin she would wear a brown wig, and uh, when she had to go you know fight crime, she would take it off and be. Uh, you know, be Supergirl with the blonde hair. So I think it'd be kind of funny if they did the reverse of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they would accomplish that, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't think you yourself have a lot of um, experience with her in anything. I, I don't. I, I uh, If she came on Glee, it was probably after I stopped watching. It was definitely um, after I stopped watching. Um you know, I, I think it's it's cool that we're getting a Supergirl show. I know that there was one. I mean, it was a movie. I think, that, yeah, there was a movie in the past. Um, it, it's it's too early to tell. Um, 
Uh, I'll, I'll definitely check it out once I see more. Uh, I know that it's being executive produced by Greg Berlanti, who also executive produces Arrow and The Flash, even though this will be on CBS and not the CW. Mm-hmm. And that there's been talks of crossover, potential crossover between the three shows. Um, but, I mean, one thing is it sounds like they are including Superman as an element in her history mm-hmm. with this show. So if unless they were to somehow like cross, they're going to be in separate realities and not in the same, on the same earth, they would have to address the Superman problem. It, it depends on, I mean, which rumors you're going to believe because there are rumors that are saying that Berlanti in producing this has clauses in his contract that allow him to do crossovers. It's, it's very much, we, we, you know, we honestly have no idea and we know that uh, the the president of CBS is actually really against this idea, uh, but the way that she talks about it makes it seem like it's not, you know, it, it may be a little bit out of her hands, that maybe some stuff was signed. We don't know. Yeah. Um, also, I, mean, I, I don't uh, care if they do uh, cross over it. Um, I think, obviously, the crossover element has done very well. For the Flash and and Arrow, and we'll get um, we'll get at least one a year as long as they keep going. Yeah, um, but uh, I don't know. Supergirl's a cool character. She obviously has all the power of the Superman. So putting her in the same boat as as Arrow and the Flash, it, it's compelling to me. But I think it'd be interesting. You know, there's always this talk of like how difficult it is to kind of have Superman on a team with other characters and make them not feel useless with all the things he's able to do. So it'd be interesting, you know, putting Supergirl, Arrow, and The Flash in a situation where she couldn't just solve all the problems and or not get punked the whole time so that they could heighten the drama. Well, I mean, I mean, it's also in the way that, yeah, The Flash could essentially, I mean, because you kind of run into it where she can't be everywhere at once, you know, while she's off solving this problem or dealing with this thing, like, Obviously, she's going to need the Flash, or you know, while she's facing off with with the big bad, she can't be stopping the bomb at the same time. Exactly. Um, and I mean, you know, you kind of had that element also when you had the Flash Arrow crossover in the first episode, where the you know the Flash, yeah, he's you know super fast. He can he has superpowers where um, where Ollie doesn't, but Ollie has experience. He's been doing this for a lot longer. He's been training for this kind of stuff. Exactly, and it seems like she is just coming out. Yeah, she has the superpowers, but does she necessarily know how to like, wield them? Uh, also, in the casting, uh, I have no idea how to pronounce his first name, and I know I'm gonna Macad. No, I'm just gonna you know I'm gonna let you do it, and we're gonna go. Macad Brooks cast as Jimmy Olsen in Supergirl. Yes. So uh, according to Variety, here's what they say: Jimmy, based on the DC Comics character, is an attractive photographer at Catco, the media company where uh, Kara Zor-El works, as an assistant to Cat Grant, yet to be casted. Uh, recently, Jimmy has been living and working in National City, though the reason is still a secret. National City. Yeah. Apparently, it's going to be a national city. <laughs> Yeah, we're not. We're just gonna. We're gonna let our awkward pauses and slight laughter uh, tell you what we think about that. Um, anyway, this is cool that uh, he's you know potentially a love interest for the character. Um, you know, I don't. Again, this is a guy I don't know. You said he was on Desperate Housewives. Apparently, I this would have said in the the write up. 
Okay. It would be it would have been more interesting if they were in a city called National City if the publication they worked for was called National Periodicals. Yeah, Catco is Catco is kind of the worst name in that yeah. in that in that description. It was like in the comics when they were having Clark and Cat do like their own like website, blogger website, and it was called like Cat, Cat Clark Cat or Cat Kenner. I don't know. It was a really bad name. Um, yeah, maybe she should stop like forcing her name into, into things. everything, which is totally within her character to force things about herself uh, into the limelight. But yeah, Catco sounds dumb. Cat Catco, it's where the cat goes. Right, uh, it, sounds, it sounds like a, a cat like product company. It, and that's like that's what I kind of thought it was for a second. I'm like, that's a weird turn. Yeah, uh, but I was entirely wrong. So we, yeah, we probably won't be seeing more about Supergirl until what? It'll probably be next fall. That, that the first episode would even come out, which uh, I guess already, is, is which is this year, so they're going to be filming it soon. Yeah, it's, it's um, already got a series commitment from CBS. So if that if it's coming out around September or October, it will be filming soon uh, by in the summer. Yeah, in sep in sep or received a series commitment from CBS in September, so that's all we really know so, right now. I think it's slated for next season, though. Yeah, uh, so that makes sense. Um, so actually, we'll probably see a lot more details as they come, and we will, of course, let you listeners know what we think about them as they develop. Uh, other interesting um, film-related news is the recasting, which I don't think they can really call it recasting. I get that it's, it's new actors playing um, it, it existing is. roles, but technically, that's if like like that's like um, when um, what's his face. Uh, Jim Rhodes from Iron Man, who Terrence Howard played him first, and then what's his face? Uh, Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle took over. That would be a recast. In this case, they're actually playing younger versions of the characters. Mm -hmm. So I think they would just call it casting. I realize they're calling it recasting. That's a little nitpick. Um, but but Storm, Jean Grey, and Cyclops kind of considered the the X Men three of the the original uh, X Men movies. Mm -hmm. Um, will be showing up as teenagers in Age of Apocalypse, Apocalypse. or X-Men Apocalypse, just Apocalypse. Which will be taking place in the 80s. So it kind of sets them up as class numero two, mm -hmm. um, uh, second class. It's also known as X-Men second class. So I, I don't think there's, besides Beast, who's going to be a fair bit older by this point, um, you know, I don't know how they're going to get away with Nicholas Holt. I don't know how they're going to get away with any of the actors being supposedly 10 years older, because they certainly didn't look 10 years older from the 60s to the 70s. Yeah, they're comic book characters, man. I'm just going to go with it. Just so, go with it. But, um, you know, I'll be curious to see if, they, if, if they're joined by any other X-Men, maybe that didn't make it to the 90s or the early 2000s. Like Jubilee. Just kidding. We're never going to see Jubilee. Uh, she was in the movies. Who was what? Oh, she was show, she was like three different actors through like the first three X Men movies. Well, I know like Kitty Pride was. Where was where was Jubilee? Oh, wait, that was Kitty. That was Kitty Pryde. Jubilee. I think you kind of see her in maybe the first one or the second one, and kind of like a yellow like jacket. Oh yeah, that's like it's somebody in the background though. It's supposed to be her, but you know, unfortunately, with the X Men movies, the majority of the characters are window dressing. Yeah, and have no personality or character depth at all. Um. We're looking at Rogue here. Uh, well, no, Rogue actually got. She was one of the central characters from well, the first. Well, well, well the yes, first but I'm series. saying, like, I mean, did she really have a personality? Yes. Really, though, did she? 
Yes. What was her personality? Uh, the girl struggling. She was like the poster child for a mutant trying to control her powers. Okay, that, 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 doesn't make, that doesn't give her a personality. It gives her more than Jubilee had. Okay, you know what? We also have not said who the new actors are. Uh, uh, I don't have their names. Before. So Alexandra Ship uh, is cast as Young Storm. Sophie Turner, uh, most famously known for Sansa Stark in Game of Thrones, is cast as Young Jean Grey. And you have Ty Sheridan, uh, most famously known for Mud, as a young Cyclops. I didn't list anything for Alexandra Ship because um, anything she's been in, I don't recognize, so I'm not really sure. But uh, Ty Sheridan, I think, is interesting. He's a young-looking guy, but he's also apparently uh, who one who was picked out by um, by his predecessor, by uh, James Marsden, to replace him. Interesting. Yeah. Um, have you seen Mud? I haven't. It's on my Netflix. Oh, Mud is really good, and he was really good in it. So he's, you know, he's probably what I'm excited for the most. I haven't seen enough of Game of Thrones to when Sansa actually gets interesting, so I can't really speak to Sophie Turner. Uh, I, I've only seen it when she was like really meek and quiet. Um, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know how her character. I haven't read the later books, so I don't know how her character develops uh, as so far as the latest season. Uh, she's, you know, uh, I can totally see her as a young Jean Grey. I don't, she doesn't look like a young Famke, Famke, Famke Jansen. Famke Jansen. Known as Jean Grey and also the chick from GoldenEye who murders people with her hips. Boom. Um, you know, uh, I find, uh, between Anna and I, uh, uh, Jean Grey's kind of a running joke of uselessness. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen those, those Tumblr comics um, where, like, Jean Grey is just, like, really needy and uh, manipulative. No, in the, um, old, it's like in the old comics, she really was. Like, like she, yeah. she would trip over logs and just be like, I can't use my brain in, anymore. In, the in like, the X-Men cartoon, she comes off as very useless. Uh, I, I realize that she's a beloved character, and I, I'm saying most, like, majority of this in jest, but it's just funny because I find Sansa Stark to be kind of in the way most of the time yeah. uh, as far as characters go. So it's just like, oh, I don't feel like she's stretching much to play Jean Grey. Um <laughs> I get you. Which, is, which is unfortunate for Jean Grey because I think that she like there's elements of her character that I think that are very cool uh, and were and interesting. Well, I, and I, just, like, I thought she was really great in Morrison's run. Yeah, exactly. But it, she is one of those characters where, like she's kind of been for, like forced into one kind of like narrative, which is basically you become so powerful that you cannot be controlled, and you ultimately either need to kill yourself or you go bad. Right. It's it's pretty much impossible. Uh, for there not to be a Jean Grey story that doesn't involve the Phoenix Force in one way or another. Even, you know, with everything that Grant Morrison did with the X-Men and kind of breaking them out of what they were, in the end, there was still a huge, like, the Phoenix was still a huge element, and I thought he used it very well, but, I mean, more to your point, it's, you know, even... You, you even, can't escape from yeah, it. Yeah, even, like, no matter who's writing X-Men, if you're writing it for any certain length of time, it's going to come up. And now that it's, you know, touched these other characters of the Marvel Universe, it's... We, we can't escape the Phoenix. We can't. You cannot escape the Phoenix. Which is kind of the theme of, of the Phoenix. Um, but, yeah, it's very cool. I'm excited to see what, what they do. Um, but, you know, I think they all... 
are going to be able to look the part pretty well. I mean, really, this picture of Ty Sheridan, he kind of does look like a young James Marsden. It's a yeah. little, little weird. Uh, but but very cool. Um, kind of. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, X Men Apocalypse can't be any worse than Days oh, of Future Oh my past, gosh, we so, don't have the time, Nick. So, we don't have I the mean, time. I I will reserve my judgment until oh, the movie comes out. Just shut your dirty mouth right now. <laughs> just shut it. Nobody wants to hear uh, your lies and falsehoods that you are trying see, to spread. I've I've wanted to watch Days of Future Past again to see if I can, you know change my opinion and but i just can't bring myself to want to pay to rent it you're the worst literally the worst <laughs> we're moving on to our next story which coincidentally also deals with the x-men uh in which fox is in negotiations for an x-men tv show and the reason they're in negotiations is because while they own the film rights to the x-men I guess they sort of kind of sort of own the TV rights to the X-Men as well, but I guess there's some sort of tie-up with Marvel slash Disney. So to be able, and presumably the X-Men TV show will exist in their X-Men, the X-Men universe that they have set up. So they still need some kind of involvement of Marvel slash Disney directly. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why it's in negotiations um, and there's really, you know, we can't say that, oh, there'll be an X-Men TV show by next fall. If anything, it could be by, like, fall of 2016. Mm -hmm. um, if they were to get real traction on it, um, that is basically all there is to say on that. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, it's pretty much impossible to say. I think it would be interesting. Um, as long as it's not Days of Future Past, that's will all you I'm saying. stop it. Okay, so here's, <laughs> so here's, a, here's a question that I would pose then. Do you go with, we're going to tell stories out of the you know the um, the Professor Xavier School for Extraordinary Students or whatever, or do we tell stories about mutants who are elsewhere in the world? Well, I think there's enough splinter. I mean, in this case, like they could do an X Factor TV show, they could do an X Force TV show, like they could do something where it just takes place in the school, and you have the students. And you know what? They could have like Cyclops, Gene, Storm, Professor X in there, except like you only see like like in the Muppet Babies, like you only see them from their legs up. Like I think that would be. Oh, fun. we'll do the X Babies. Oh man. They could do the X Babies. Why has nobody done the X Babies? We'll get Scotty Young to animate it. <laughs> it's, you know that would be cool. It it's um you know that basically they could do anything they want with this TV show. Yeah, I you know I was listening to another podcast and they were kind of talking about it. And one guy was very adamant on, like, no, 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 you couldn't, like, it'd be terrible if you didn't focus on, like, ones that we already knew. But this world is so big that we don't have to. Yeah. You know, like, you, you, could, you could have mutants in, you know, in California. And, you know, of course you know what's going on in New York. And, yes, there's not as famous of a superhero group. But within this world, why couldn't there be if there's only mutants? Yeah, there could be mutants everywhere. And, I mean, they could explore, like, the global impact of mutants in a way that they haven't in the movies. In a lot of ways, a lot of aspects of the X-Men get glossed over in the movies because there's just, like, I guess the writers felt like they, they had to juggle a lot of elements at once, so they're there, but they're very glazed over. Um, oh, man, where'd my brain go? Where is my At the same mind? time, at the same time, like, you have, like, with X-Men Apocalypse, you're wrapping up the quote-unquote first-class trilogy. And then, um, you know, we've had the adult X-Men trilogy, and then we've had, like, the, the Wolverine movies here or there. But it's, 
oh, something man. where like where you know, where at what at what period would this take place? Would this be a period film taking place in the eighties or nineties? Would it take place somewhere in between like X Men one and two or two and three? Mm-hmm. Um or or after three because at this point we actually haven't seen you know now that they rewrote the history and you know that a lot of elements of x-men three didn't happen um or happened vastly different you know we don't know what comes after that but we are, we're not likely to see you know patrick stewart or ian mckellen's you know uh suit up again we probably won't we honestly probably won't see Hank or, or Scott or Gene or Aurora or, or even Hugh Jackman in their present day incarnations. No, no, again. no, no. And, and, and I know, um, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart have both said like, at least for as apocalypse is concerned, like, no, they haven't been approached, but I think that's also telling of if that, and you know, with the way that Disney's past ended, like that storyline is done. There's, you know, not much we can really do, that's not going to undermine everything that Days of Future Past did. Which was just sucked. So. Okay, you know what? Stop it. Shush. <laughs> Bad Nick. Bad. Oh, man. All right. So much fun. Okay, you know what? I think I think we're going to wrap things up. I think it's about that time. Uh, we're about hitting our usual hour and a half here, so, it's, you know, it's, that's perfect. Uh, and, of course, you know, we're going to let Nick start off with his recommendation this week to my, carry us home. My recommendation is that if you had the unfortunate experience of seeing X-Men Day of the Future Past, that you should expunge it from your brain. That's my recommendation, folks. Wow. Okay, you know what? Just to counter that, uh, my recommendation is that Nick should rewatch Days of Future Past. Okay. Let's... I can't really make a bet because that could force me to continue to not like it out of principle. Just yeah. to win the bet. So there will be no bet. I will rewatch X-Men Days of Future Past. And I promise you, as open-minded as I was going to see it the first time, and I truly was. Were you? I was. I was excited. I thought the trailers looked doped. I mean, like, I was, I was, I, I didn't know a whole lot about what was going to go on, but I wanted, to, I went in, like, expecting to like it, and then I didn't. So I will attempt to rewatch it again. Even if I have to die trying, and I probably will die because it's boring. Look, if you were to die, the quality of this podcast would probably just skyrocket. So you know, do what you have to do. Whoa! Yeah, uh, this episode's over, but most because I'm jumping through my microphone to strangle you to death. Yeah, good luck with that. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a direct path. Might have to take some twists and turns there on the information <laughs> superhighway. I might stop in, like, Florida or something. I haven't really been there, so... Wait, you know, like, Florida's not on the way to where I'm at. I know, I'm going to overshoot you, spend some time in Florida, and then go back... Oh, I might as well get you on my way home. Uh, yeah. This is sounding really boring for you. It wasn't that great of a trip. Um, anyway, it's been a good show, though. It's, yeah, has it, though, has it? Has uh, it? Are you, has questioning? It? Are you saying that the listeners who have been listening this whole time should... Uh, second guess why they just spent the last couple hours listening to us talk. No, they should They should never second guess. In fact, they should go ahead and feel free to shoot us an email at heckyeahcomics at gmail.com 
um, telling us their thoughts on anything that we've said or anything, if there's anything they want us to read to recommend to us or some stuff that they want us to talk about in future episodes, they can also check us out on Twitter at HeckYeahComics. Uh, you can also find out more about the show at HeckYeahComics.com. You can find me, David, uh, on Twitter at DavLuz. You can find Nick... Um, Shoot, I don't try to scrub his eyeballs in an attempt to find any excuse to not watch X Men: Days of Future Past again, for fear that he knows that he is wrong. <laughs> uh, sure. And of course, if you enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends. And if you hated it, then please tell your enemies. Until next time, goodbye. Worst episode ever.